Hey, this is Chris Cootie, worship arts pastor at Life Church, and you're listening to the Practical Worship Podcast. Well, hello, and welcome to the Practical Worship Podcast. I'm Dave Dolphin, and this is a show designed to help you lead a worship band and be a leader of people. And we release a brand new episode on the first Friday of every single month. So make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast and whatever app that you're using to listen to your podcasts with. Thank you so much for being here and spending time with me. And welcome to episode number 11. Today, we're going to talk with Chris Cootie. Chris is currently the central ministry leader of worship arts at Life Church, pouring into the worship pastors and the worship ministries at all of their campuses, but he's also been the worship pastor at the main Life Church campus, the one that Craig Rochelle preaches from, and he is Chris of Chris and Conrad that had some success on Christian radio back in the early 2000s. But the conversation that we're going to have today is about songwriting and specifically how to create and lead a songwriting ministry at your church. We talk about how Life Church got started in the last few years of writing their own songs and what a song written by your church can do that a song that comes from maybe Hillsong or Bethel may not be able to do as well. And the beautiful thing about this conversation is that the size of the church doesn't matter. Everything we talk about applies if your Life Church with 30-plus campuses or a small congregation with just 30 people. I think after you listen to this episode, you're going to be inspired to get with a few of the other creatives at your church and start seeing what song ideas you can come up with. There's something special about a song that is birthed by the local church for the local church. But first, the product of the month is Worship Workspace. Now, you might be a part of Facebook groups with other people that are worship leaders or tech people, and it's a great way to connect with like-minded people and to get advice and things like that. But this is a way, Worship Workspace is a way to take that next level. It's a private group through an app called Slack, and it's a great place for you to get that personal advice and support from other people that are all also wanting to go the next level when it comes to leading their worship ministries. There's also opportunities to be in a mastermind group that you can bounce ideas off of a couple other people that you're paired up with and industry experts in the areas of Mainstage and Ableton and songwriting and things like that. And then there's these little sessions they do with people like Jeremy Riddle and Matt Stitton and Meredith Andrews, where for like an hour you're in this like private uh, you know, video chat where you can ask them questions and hear from them. In fact, they just did one with a guy named uh, Steve Gould. He is the lead music director at Christ Church of the Valley in Phoenix, Arizona. He's also the drummer for like Owl City and Sarah Bareilles, and he's played for for Jason Gray and things like that. Just lots of wisdom that you can take from and just learn from and apply this to your ministry. So if you're wanting to grow as a worship pastor, as a worship leader, as you're leading your ministry, if you're wanting to take that next step and invest in you and invest in your ministry, Worship Workspace is a great place to do that. I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes. In fact, many of the things that we talk about today, you can always find that kind of information, all the links, all that in the show notes. All you have to do for this episode is go to practicalworshiplog.com slash podcast. 11. And now 
my conversation with Chris Cootie. Chris Cutie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dave. Man, I think you are the first person on this podcast that I've had that is actually listed in IMDb. <laughs> For some reason, I was like doing some Googling of like looking at your name and like find bios or whatever, and that popped up because of your role in the movie I Can Only Imagine. Yeah. And it was on the music advisory side of things. Yeah. So what did so tell me about that? Well, I I I toured in Nashville um, professionally for about five to six years, early 2000s. And through that, just grew a lot of relationships. And one of those was with the Irwin brothers, who at the time were doing the best music videos in Nashville, when music videos were a thing. They still are, but it was more of a predominant thing in the industry. And so we wanted to shoot with them so bad and schedules didn't line up. And so we, we had a working relationship, but we didn't. And then you fast forward almost you know decade later, and they're in the movie business, start working on a film that is to be shot here in Oklahoma City around the life of Bart Millard from Mercy Me. And so they called me up, said, hey, I know you're in town. We would love your help on a few things, some set things that we have questions for, what's the best venue, and then what we really need is a music advisor. So I had to, like you, ask the question, what the heck does that even mean? And uh, they said, well, when we did a, they did a movie called Woodlawn. It was a football movie. They had a guy that was a football advisor. And his job was both continuity and information, um, making sure that all the things that were related to football were actually related to football. Do the guys that are running that route know what they're doing and look like they're running a post route or whatever it would be? So the same is true in the music world. So some of the actors that played in the band as the Mercy Me band had no idea what to do musically. So I had a guitar player. He's actually on, he's got some spots in The Walking Dead he was playing Mike Mike from uh, Mercy Me. He had no idea how to play guitar. He kind of <laughs> knew a few chords. So I literally spent a full day in the studio with him, mimicking the parts, and then he was filming it, and then he took it back to his hotel room and was just trying to, like, at least rhythmically and on the fretboard get to the, the right neighborhood. Right. What does the keyboard player do? Does the band look like they know what they're doing? So that was my role. That's amazing. From a musical perspective, does the do the actors look like they know what they're doing? The great thing, uh, the guy that played Bart, he he's a Broadway star, so he knows how to sing. His voice, um, when he's you know singing, I can only imagine all the songs. That's actually him singing. He spent a full day. And he does a great job. He sounds like Bart. He spent a full day with Bart, getting coached, and so it was a ton of fun. I got to be a part of the last scene that was shot. Um, I was with the guitar player on the scene, and so. Um, it was a ton of fun. I, from a, just a production standpoint, I learned a lot about movies and that really translated into the producing world in music and on stage. Uh, just the process was fascinating. That's so cool. And I, I remember when I, when I first saw the movie and that final scene you're talking about, you know, where the Amy Grant band gives the song kind of back to, to Bart. Yeah. I'm like, Hey, that guy playing guitar. I know that guy. Yeah. Cool thing was we had a couple we put a couple Easter eggs in there. I worked with the directors to the original drummer and bass player for Mercy Me who didn't translate to once I can only imagine was released. So that's a little bit of the quirk in the story. 
they were actually the drummer and the bass player in that final scene. Interesting. And so I I I just kind of snuck them in there. Nobody would know, um, but Trent um, was the original drummer. Trent Austin. Yeah, yeah. And so it was a cool little cool little cool little moment. Well, I think that's really cool. And all the things that you're getting to do, and obviously with your with your role at, at Life Church and being a part of that worship ministry, one of the things that I have seen come out of that worship ministry is these original songs that you have done. One of the first ones that I really latched onto was a song called "Fully Devoted," and then most recently in 2018, there was a song called "You Are" that you started doing in the summertime, and and I even have. Um, a, a personal connection with that because I was kind of going through just a crazy season mm-hmm. in, in the summertime of 2018. And so while we were kind of in between churches, we went to a couple life church campuses and introduced that song. And for where I was mm-hmm. in my life and where my wife was in her life, like that just ministered to us in, in amazing ways. And so there's a lot of power I see in in churches making these songs. And we, we see people like Hillsong and Bethel, a lot of these larger churches that, you know, this is where we're getting a lot of our library, a lot of our songs. But I mean, there's Vertical Church Band and Red Rocks Worship and Austin Stone and a lot of these people that are producing songs. So I want to have a conversation with uh, those that are, are a part of maybe smaller or medium-sized churches that maybe have that desire to like, hey, it would be really cool if we could mm-hmm. maybe write some songs and be able to uh, give that to our people, maybe have, you know, adjust some motives and like why we do that in the first place. And so I want to have a conversation with you, Chris, about just how Life Church just got started writing their own songs. When did that start for for you and your ministry yeah it it dates back to about four to five years ago and we are a church of uh 22 years and and so when you kind of do the math you you can infer that well this hasn't always been a part of the culture and that's absolutely correct um you know early on i think the pace and the rate of growth was so quick that really we were trying to answer the question how do we um do church in multiple places um, and maintain, not maintain, but steward the growth that God's bringing us as a church. And so for us as a worship ministry, it it really wasn't the right timing to take our our eye off the ball of doing church well in multiple locations, reaching people in multiple cities and multiple states. And so that's where our energy went from a leadership perspective, and it wasn't until about four to five years ago that we were really able to sit back and say, okay, we have the process by which we are doing church well, and you know, at the time it may have been 25, 26 locations in eight or nine states. Right now we're at 32 locations in, in nine states. And so um, we really have processes in place by which we're doing ministry well, um, and now we have the margin. We talk about it this way, for a worship pastor on our staff to write songs, their tithe, their main contribution, the thing that they're responsible for contributing to our church, to our organization, is their campus. Are they leading well at their campus? Not just on the stage, but off of it. And then anything in excess or extra would be, as we talk about in a giving standpoint, they're offering. They're over and above what is required and asked of them, i.e. songwriting. Um, if they're not winning in that area, we're not going to divert that attention to something extra. And so 
that's how we really talked about it. And and as an organization, and specifically as a worship ministry, we're beginning to have that margin so that we can focus um, on the extra, what we would call curricular of writing songs. Because like you said, there's some great songs out there that um, although they may have been written out of houses of worship, they really are for the capital C church, the global church, um, to pray these prayers to God. And so it wasn't until about four or five years ago that we then started saying, okay, we have the capacity. I think God's blessed us with the talent of writers to be able to do this. How are we going to start grafting this into our culture as a worship ministry? And so we just started. We just started. That's probably the best way to put it. I think for a lot of us, we want to do these things, and we try to ideate on what it could look like, and we learn, and we do the research, and we fail to do the one thing that actually gets us going, and that's starting. Uh, and so we just started as a worship ministry. We we still, like I said, four or five years into this, we don't have all the answers. We're far from having great processes in place, but we are, we're just people who have been faithful with coming to the table and contributing in that way. And that's been what we've been doing for the last four or five years. So what did that first day look like when you when you just started and you said, okay, today we have a songwriting ministry. What did that first day look like? Uh, it really was birthed out of, and I would, you know, as a caveat, I would say that if your songwriting culture is not paired with, in conjunction with, in stride with the vision and the leadership of your senior pastor, you're missing it. Um and so that's how it started for us. It was, hey, we're doing this worship series for the month of December as we step into Christmas. We talk about um, the the people that came to see the baby Jesus. They bowed before him. They brought their gifts. They raised their hands in worship. They're, these postures of worship that those that came to see Jesus, the Messiah, they came in, and that's what we're still called to do today. There's postures of worship. And so we really wrote a song to help illustrate that, and it was called We Lift You High. And so to be honest, it was pressure prompted. It was, hey, this series is starting in a few weeks. We got to get a song out there, and we just hit the ground running. And uh, I don't know if we came up with the best song, but I think we came up with the best song for that series that was birthed out of the 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 verbiage that Pastor Craig was going to be using in that series that really, I can remember the first time we played it, and it was a part of a response song after the message. We had played it earlier in the set, and then Pastor Craig really unpacked what the series was going to be about. And then he gave this invitation for everybody to stand and said, you know, we sang this song earlier in the service, but based on what you've heard from God, God's Word and how He's stirring you, I just want you to sing it. And maybe you don't get this whole worship thing, but I'll tell you this, you do go to sporting events and you do lift your hands, you do shout at the top of your lungs, and what I'm asking you is just to worship. And we played that song with that context, and man, that you talk about the lights coming on, that was, I think, the moment for our worship ministry was like, we, I think we're we're hitting the right timing, the right stride to where this is going to become a part of our culture. Um, and we just kept going. And what did you see, like when you were playing that song as a response song, and maybe, you know, weeks and months afterward, what is it that you saw that that song could accomplish in your church that maybe another song off a, you know, a, you know, Hillsong or Bethel record couldn't? 
Yeah, that's a great question. We, I, I talk about it this way. Um, there are things about God that we will be singing in worship songs for now and through all of eternity because of who God is. He's constant. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. We know that. He is holy. You could sing that in a song a million times, and we have, quite frankly. But there's something about making sure that the subtle nuances in verbiage that your church is hearing, maybe it's a part of your culture, you talked about fully devoted earlier, that song's really based out of the vision, um, both kind of inferred and clearly stated within our church. Fully devoted, we follow after the one who gave it all, Christ alone be praised. Fully devoted is part of our mission statement. We lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. It's been the heartbeat of our church for over 20 years. And so to be able to have that verbiage peppered into songs that we're singing to God, about God, um, that I think that we talk about the light bulb moments, that's when the the vision of your church starts to come to life. Um, and and so that I think that's the, in answering your question, I think that's the thing that a song that another church maybe wrote really doesn't do um, all the time. And you talked about You Are. That song was birthed out of a struggle that Pastor Craig and his wife Amy were having in the midst of their daughter Mandy being sick and not knowing if a, if a diagnosis was going to come, let alone a, a solution or a healing. And the wrestling while we're waiting, God, we know that you are good. Even while I wait, I will lift my hands in the waiting. I will still shout when I don't have the words. That kind of, those things were a part of what Pastor Craig was talking about when he was just being real with our church about the struggle. And we just said, we're going to write a song to help uh, encapsulate that struggle because Craig and Amy and Mandy aren't the only ones wrestling with this struggle. Our church is, the church is. And so we just, we just wrapped words around and a melody around the, let me say it this way. We just wrapped a melody around the words we were already saying as a church. And I think that's the power of it. To sum it all down, it's the prayers that we pray as a church to God that we've already been praying in our messages, in our culture, uh, as a part of our mission statements and values. We just, we just wrapped melody around it and we're singing those, praying those to God. I think that could be super powerful, and I, I love that, even just the way that you put that. So as you were continuing to write songs, and obviously, I mean, you've written a lot of songs, and, and there's probably other people within the, the context that are have a lot of uh, experience in the craft of, of, of writing songs, but how how can how did you and how can others maybe improve that skill of songwriting and then at the same time encouraging others in the church to be able to do that? Because I mean, sometimes songs just come to you. I've been in that situation where you know two o'clock in the morning you wake up and you just can't write fast enough. But mo- most times, it seems like writing a song is like any other skill. It's a it's a muscle that you have to exercise. So, how has have you seen that for you and for the people around you, and maybe other people that are like wanting to get into that? How can you fine tune that skill of writing songs? That's great. I I would talk about it this way, and I I um I'm glad that this interview is not via video because. People would not believe what I'm saying because I don't I don't match the description, but I like to go to the gym. 
Uh, I'm not a big man. I'm not a muscular man by any, but I, you know, I'm a, I've always been a skinny guy, a hard gainer. And it wasn't until I got in with a personal trainer that I started seeing gains as we call it in the, in the lifting business. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I remember the first time I went, I didn't really see many gains. And then before too long, because I had somebody making sure that I was lifting the right way, doing the reps correctly, I, over the months, saw growth that I'd never seen when it was just me showing up to the gym. And as it pertains to songwriting, I think in, in, in our naivety, uh, or naivete, as some may say. Um, <laughs> early on in creativity, we think that we have to be the one that holds our gift, the only one that holds our gift when it comes to songwriting. I, I talk to young artists all the time, and I ask them the question, man, who co-wrote on the song with you? Well, nobody did. It was me. I've, I've had this idea for so long. And that is that is red flag number one for me for an artist when they are unable to let go of their their craft and bring others into it, they'll be just as unsuccessful as I was, I believe, in the gym for years until I brought someone else in. Um, you look at all the great songs that we in the church world sing, or even in the in the mainstream world, those songs are riddled with co-writes. Um, great songs don't just fall on someone's lap, I don't believe. I believe that a great song is crafted by many people's experiences, um, many people's perspective, working together. The the cliche thing could be we are better together. And so I say all that to say, as a, as a songwriter, the way that you get better is letting go and inviting other people into the process. Well, how do I do that? How do I, how do I trust somebody with this thing that uh, is birthed inside of me? And my answer to that may sound brash and may sound insensitive. I would say, let it go. Um, the second you let it go, I believe that that thing that's been inside of you, it gets better. Um, I've seen it too many times not to preach that gospel um, of co-writing, of inviting other people into the process. We talk about it here at Life Church. We create with the door open. We don't just sit in our office and just you know, peck away at an idea by ourselves. We invite others into the process. And at that invitation, I believe that our work gets better. I learned this when I was touring. Uh, our label set up a bunch of co-writes with people that had songs on big records. And the second I sat even across the table or the couch from somebody that was quite frankly a stranger but I was pulling from their life experience in conjunction with mine, and that song came to life. I, re- I recognized it in an instant. I can't do this alone anymore. The things that I would slave over for days and months and years sometimes in songs came to life in just minutes because I wasn't the only one thinking about it, and someone else's perspective was speaking into that problem or that melody or that lyric idea that I was having a hard time with, and boom, in an instant, that thing came to life. And so... Train with somebody, go to the gym with somebody, sit in a room, a writer's room, put put boundaries on it. Don't sit in there for hours and hours and hours on end. Say, we're going to write for four hours, five hours, and we're going we're gonna to do the due diligence of bringing ideas, but we're going to let go of our ideas the second we walk into the room. We're going to trust, even if it's a stranger, 
and I guarantee you, watch your songs get better. So don't go to the gym alone. Don't train alone. Don't write alone. Invite others into the process. Have you done like songwriting retreats and things like that? Like how how are you cultivating that where where multiple people are getting together and writing the songs that they do? Yeah, for us here at Life Church, what we do is we will have uh, we'll encourage our writers to to book co writes. Um, nobody's ever writing alone, and that'll just happen through the course of our weeks and months. But then usually quarterly. We'll schedule these these songwriting trips, maybe to Nashville, maybe to a different part of the country, where we'll bring a few of our great songwriters, our seasoned songwriters, and we'll invite other great professional writers, as I would call it, into the process. Um, and many would say, man, what do, what do they know about your church? Well, the thing is, they don't know about our church very well until we bring the context. The, the amazing thing about that is that you're inviting in um, a non-biased party into the songwriting process because as a church we may think about an idea about God or about this thing in our culture one way because we're so immersed in it. It's what we think about every day. It's what we see every weekend. Um, it's when we invite somebody else into the process who has that non-biased view of that thing about God and maybe they they invite in a different way of thinking about that idea and that's when it really unlocks. Like, so, for example, you talked about UR. We invited a, a friend of mine, Mike Grayson, into the process, and we had talked about the struggle that Pastor Craig was having in this, you know, and when is God going to heal Mandy? How long is she going to be sick? When are we going to find an answer? And we kind of painted that picture for him, but we let him from there say, okay, what's our response to that? You're not connected to these people, but you've been connected to moments where you're begging and crying out to God for an answer, and he hasn't given you one. What do we say? And that's when um, I think it it makes a broader connection to people. Although you heard that song in our church, you weren't attending our church before that. Right. And and yet it did something in your heart, and that's when a church kind of takes— or a song takes form outside of the four walls of your church and your context and your environment and really grows. And so we're doing those retreats quite as frequently as we can, but we're also doing the due diligence on our part to continue the writing. No one's writing alone. Um, and we invite even non-writers into the process. Maybe there's, um, you know, there's a, a, a pastor. Pastor Craig obviously is involved in, hey, what do you think about this song? Um, he's not a musical guy, but he can he can unpack theology and he can unpack and, and narrow down an idea better than anybody. And so we inv- we invite his eyes and ears into the process as well, and we do that quite frequently. How many songs do you think you guys are writing, like maybe within a year? And then how are you selecting which of those songs are going to be the ones that you use in a service or maybe like in a recording? Yeah, I don't have the exact. I, I think we're we're probably in the hundreds of songs written. Um, we will not submit all of those songs into the next step of the process, and that's what we call a listen, where the writers are actually not involved in that listen. Um, again, it's non bias leadership who. Um, kind of is detached from these songs from a personal perspective, and they're just listening purely, what does this song do, and how does it move me? 
And then from there, we have notes and revisions that get made based on that listen that get pushed back down to our writers. Hey, take that back into a, uh, a, another co-write or maybe invite another person in. Maybe we were missing some lyrical things. Invite a great lyricist in and let's let's finish this idea. And so we may submit, I would say, probably upwards to around 40 to 50 songs into those listens. And then from there, you know, you may have two songs that are kind of high potential songs out of those listens, maybe medium potential songs, and then songs that kind of get put on the back burner or maybe the timing's not right. Um, Now, if we're writing for a series tied to Pastor Craig, we're probably going to submit three to four songs for that series, Um, just three or four different takes on how to articulate a thought and melody around that series if that's been asked of us from Pastor Craig. And so those get pushed into a listen pretty quick because they're time sensitive. You know, hey, we've got the series coming up in two months. I think we, if we really had a song for it, we could, it would really help make this series come to life. And so we're doing that quite frequently as well. But overall, in terms of what's submitted, um, we're writing a lot of songs and, you know, we'll release um, 10 next year. Um, it took 90 bad ones to get to 10. And I think that's the misconception is that a lot of times, you know, churches that are just starting out doing songwriting, you know, maybe the drummer brought a song and the guitar player has a song and all of a sudden, like, they, they bring these songs and now we have five songs. And so now it's time to make an EP of five songs. Whereas, no, yeah, it, it, were, it, it were a lot of times when you, you know, I, for whatever reason, I have this stat in the back of my head that just will not leave. But you know, the Heaven in the Real World CD that Stephen Curtis Chapman did, he wrote over 40 songs yep. for a 12-song album. Yep. And that's not uh, – that's very typical. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if this ratio is right, but I think for every one good or decent song, you got, you got 10 bad ones, nine bad ones, maybe more. Um, and so you've got to – you – I think the idea of just, hey, we've got all these songs that we've written, and this is all we've written, um, and we're going to put that out and release that, I would, I would pause or slow down your process if that's, if that's the way of thinking. Because we think about it this way. We talked about the movie um, that, that I was a part of earlier. And in the film world, great movies are made in the editing suite. You, th- you talk about... Hollywood, there's huge budgets, great actors are not a dime a dozen, but they're they're in good movies. And what takes a a decent movie to a great movie is the ability to omit things that were filmed. The ability to to kind of pull back and say, maybe the script kind of had this in there, but as we're looking at the movie as a whole, that line doesn't doesn't make sense or that part of the story actually doesn't help the movie. And I, I see this with Pastor Craig all the times. It's the things that he doesn't say that make what he does say impactful. It's the ability to edit and tweak and cut. And if you're if you're not doing that in your songwriting process, uh, I, I believe that we're just re- releasing decent things, good things. The step from good to great um, is made when we're great at editing that we're doing a, a due diligence of saying, hey, we've got these 10 songs. 
I think I think a few of them are, are are good. We still have some work to do, some edits to make, but we're we're gonna put these away for another day, and we're gonna focus on this one. You you put ten people in a room, you listen to those ten songs. I guarantee you there will be a consensus around. Yeah, that one's the one. Um, and if we don't do that and bring that, invite that into our processes, um, I believe we'll we'll miss the boat on releasing great. Great songs. We got to be okay with letting go. That may be the theme of this whole conversation. Open handed in our creative process. The same is true with with songs that we submit and release. I think that's so wise, Chris. Are you ready now for the bonus round? Oh man, I love it. I'm ready. Hopefully, I sneeze the entire time. That would be awesome. Let's not do that. So, okay, bonus round coming at you in three, two, one. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Early riser or night owl? Early. Favorite TV or Netflix show? Stranger Things. Cat or dog? Neither. <laughs> That's not an option. Dog. <laughs> no, it's okay. Cats um, are just cats are just too. It's it's like they're plotting an overthrow or something. They're just too mysterious for me. I don't like that. Dogs are loyal to the end. I just yeah. I feel like I feel like cats are trying to. They're plotting a way to just kill us all. <laughs> yeah, we're all worried about the robots and AI, and it's really the cats that are going to take over the world. Yeah, just watch out for the cats. Yep. New York City or L.A. New York. Crunchy or creamy. Ooh, crunchy. Favorite social network. Instagram. Favorite book. Every creative should read. Oh, sorry. This is not this is not lightning by any means. But I am a I'm one of those guys that reads about four to five books at a time, and so I've got a lot going on in my library right now. I, I think the the one that I would most recently recommend, Hitmakers, is probably on the top of my list right now for creatives. Um, from just a uh, now backup power moments. Okay, I like them both. We'll put them both in the in the show notes. So you guys can you can check that out. What's a hidden talent that you have that only a few people know about? Uh, I'm pretty good at voices, like characters, like like different yeah. voices. I I spent a lot of time on the road, and so I'd spend a lot of time talking to myself, and so I accents, characters. Uh, impressions, you name it. Okay, so give me one. Uh, okay, so uh, I have very hard time to articulate how excited I am to be on Practical Worship Podcast. In Motherland Russia, we don't have podcasts. We have a radio, one radio signal that goes up to uh, the entire country, and and uh, one person talks on the radio the entire time. So the opportunity, you know, so there's... That's awesome. I love that. We're going to end right there. That's the bonus (laughs) round. Good job, Chris. Thanks, man. So as people are getting started in songwriting and doing this, especially as they're, you know, working within the confines of a church and that organization and working with other people, are there are there legal things that people should consider or maybe even legal things that they shouldn't worry about? That's a great question. I I think they're... I think the the idea of stewardship is how we need to think about this. Um, maybe the word legal for some of you, when you heard it, it's kind of like off-putting. Oh, this is the church. We're writing songs for the church. Let's face it. Um, 
there are people out there who um, want to abuse some of the things that you're maybe putting out there, um, and that's unfortunate. And then the other thing is, is that there there is a monetary factor to um, the art of music. There is. And from a stewardship perspective, there is way to kind of pour back into the house what is coming out of the house. Um, and there's just, from a, from a legal perspective, publishing, uh, copywriting, and all that, there are monies sitting out there that if you don't have a structure set up uh, to pull that revenue back in, even if it's cents for streaming, those cents add up, and those cents can be poured back into the house. Um, that's on you. And so you've got you've to just take the steps. The, the places that I would go... Um, to begin with, number one is defining your ministry's philosophy, specific to songwriters. Um, are the songwriters set up as their own individual publishers, or do you set up um, publishing for the church? And does the church hold the publishing? Is that part of the songwriter's salary? Um, you know, you've got to define that for your ministry. I can't speak to what you should do. You've got to just define what's our culture. Um, the other thing that you would do is set up your individual songwriters in one of the PROs, BMI, ASCAP, or CSAC. It really, I would, I would suggest from a professional perspective, setting up your writers in multiple pros, because what can happen is um, some pros may miss revenue streams for publishing that other pros get. And all you'd have to do is say one writer got their ASCAP statement in and it was X amount of dollars for the same songs that somebody on BMI was on. Well, if you compare the, the, the statements and take that back to BMI and say, hey, ASCAP caught it, you guys missed it, they'll catch that for you and they'll re-up it. And so you're able to kind of um, bring in some of those revenue streams from publishing um, by using multiple pros some people like to use the same. It's really up to you. So BMI, CSAC, or ASCAP would be another place to start. Um, in the in the worship world, CCLI is another place, registering your songs in CCLI. If these songs are being sung in churches around the world, uh, we all have to purchase a CCLI license in order to be able to do that and account for um, where these songs are being played and giving the due, due diligence back to those that created the work. Uh, another thing I would encourage you to do is sound, sign up for Sound Exchange. Um, as we step into a very digital streaming world, um, the performance rights is something that up until about 2011 wasn't a thing that was accounted for. And so what I mean by that is, um, sure, there's publishing royalties coming in, but your ability to gain revenue that's out there, there, there are dollars sitting out there for the fact that your band or your brand played on and performed on this work. There are dollars out there for that. And Sound Exchange does a great job of pulling those dollars in. And so those would be the, the places I would start. You obviously want to make sure that you copyright your work, that there's some sort of legal paper trail when it comes to a song. Before you play that song, what are you doing to copyright that work? Um, and then making sure you're doing your due, due diligence um, on streaming rights for that song. Um, are you, you know, putting the the stems up for 
other churches to use. Um, those are all things that you could take steps to to make sure and ensure that all the the legal parameters are taken care of when it comes to your church's work. Man, that's good. You know, as we think about all those things, the the list of pros and how to copyright things and sound exchange and all these different things can sound daunting and they are necessary parts of the process. The thing that I would encourage all of us, all of us creatives to do is simply just start. Um, growth doesn't happen by thinking about or researching what to do in the gym. You just got to go. And so if you want this part um, of the creative world to be a part of your ministry, get some people together and just start. Start the process um, You know, from a legal perspective. Take the step um, to register your work somewhere. Um, do the work. Do the due diligence. And I believe that that faithfulness to just show up um, God will begin to pour his blessing out on our craft. We'll begin to get better, better together. We're going to grow. We're going to learn from each other. Just do the work of starting. So uh, a funny story about that interview, about a third of the way in, Chris starts going into this uncontrollable sneezing fit. It must have lasted like a good five or seven minutes, which is why later when we're starting the bonus round, he says that I hope I sneeze all the way through. Now, we obviously edited that part out of the main interview, but Chris said that I should try and keep it in. So I've hidden that somewhere within this episode. It's it's, it's just your job to find it. Songwriting was something that we were just starting to explore at my last church before I left, and it's something that I'd like to focus on at some point here at my new church in the near future. Part of our church's vision is that we are Christ-led, pastor-guided, deacon-served, and body-engaged, and I'd love to somehow come up with a song that helps push that vision forward and allows our congregation a way to easily wrap their hearts around that. I see a lot of value in finding a way for our people to sing that during worship. And speaking of worship songs, we just published a video on the YouTube channel about how to find worship songs for your church services. It shares five tips based on how I look and choose the songs that we include in our service. There's a a lot of great material that's out there, but the trick is figuring out what's appropriate for Sunday morning and what's and what's going to connect with your congregation. So I'll put a link to that video along with the many other things that we mentioned in this episode in the show notes. Just go to practicalworshipblog.com slash podcast 11. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, I'm going to ask you to do something. If you're listening to this on the Apple podcasting app, would you leave an honest five-star review and rating on iTunes. The more reviews and ratings that a podcast has on Apple iTunes, the more that they and their algorithm is going to suggest this podcast to other people. And even if you're listening to this from Google Play or Spotify or TuneIn or Stitcher, you probably know someone that could benefit from this content. So consider sharing a link on social media or email it to someone. This has been the Practical Worship Podcast. Thanks again for listening. I'm Dave Dolphin, and let's do this again next month.
song has really taken off in the in the. <coughs> Sorry, that's okay, man. You were you were hanging on, man. You were like, I'm going to the very. I'm I, I got this. I can I do. I got it. this. The problem with me, man, is I I sneeze in increments of like twelve. It's never just one. <laughs> I'll be right back. Hold on, let me blow You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> that's hilarious. Oh man. Oh, I'm sitting here watching this, and I was like, you know. He's going down. He's going down. Yeah, it's it's coming. <laughs> oh, dang it. <laughs> oh, you're going to have to keep this. We're keeping this audio.